Hello and welcome to this week's episode of BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with Dominic Peasley, CEO at Spark Capital. We take a deeper look at how Spark's smart model actually works with lending against R&D claims compared to banks' conventional models and the benefits Spark can provide to a business's cash flow and overall performance. We also get an insight into how Dom likes to keep business operations running successfully, plus his thoughts on the future of the workplace culture. Welcome to The Smart Lenders. So someone who's savvy would say, uh, well, I know about R&D because frankly, they've spent the first 10 years with no one claiming it and the last 10 years like desperately trying to tell everybody about it. And then they might say, and I've heard of people lending this money you know, what? Uh, what's different? Because there are, you know, there are organizations that have been trying to do lending. What's the difference with Spark? Yeah, so I suppose when you look at that lending market, and I, you know, when we were setting the business up, it's something that we obviously looked at quite carefully. There has been for a while what I would call almost a bridging market. So mm. between the period when you're approaching your year end and when you're going to file your tax return, so there's a lot of certainty around what that receivable will be. People will lend you, but they might charge quite high upfront fees as well as the interest costs on, on that loan. When we looked at it, we thought there's got to be a better way of doing this. So if I'm going to provide a, a non-dilutive source of capital to a business, why the hell am I going to charge you 5% upfront and dilute your cash flow on day one. Doesn't seem like a a very good thing to do. But what we did is we took the concept of being able to lend earlier in the financial year and partnering with tax advisors, accountants, such as Harry Clark, um, and looking at how they're actually spending that money and being able to advance rather than four or five months before their tax returns being filed, actually being able to lend 15 months before that. So it makes a big difference. So it makes a huge difference to the cash flow of a company. Because the key point, and you you alluded to it earlier, is if you can lend me through the whole year, the sort of almost counterintuitive thing is, okay, I've spent, let's just say, £10,000 on R&D. I think I can get £3,300 back at the end of the year once I've done my tax return. But if you give me most of that money now, now this month I'm going to spend 13000 or 12000 on R&D. So then I'm going to claim more in the end. So, it, yeah, it, it it's additive. So if you take that idea of lending quarterly, for example, against their eligible R&D spend, that would then increase the amount of capital they've got for R&D by about 20%. And even net of fees costs, it's an increase of 10% on the payable claim that they're going to get back from, from HMRC. So that word accretive again, mm-hmm. Andy. It's cash flow. <laughs> it's cash flow. You have to write it down. To borrow, uh, You'll get borrow lost in the, the C's. R&D. Yeah, it's got lots of C's in yeah. it, does it? All oh, right. That's why I've never learned it. I've just, I've just skipped past it as a dyslexic. But, but I think the other side of it is you, you've got companies who are raising a lot of equity to fund their R&D. And... Yeah, as a as a founder myself, and yeah, having looked at numerous businesses, one of the key things that founders are always trying to do is hold on to as much of their business as they can. Mm. Now, if you're raising equity and giving your business away to fund your R and D, if you can borrow against that payable credit, you can actually reduce the amount of equity you've got to raise by about eighteen percent, which means that you're, you're holding on to more of your company and you're potentially getting to market quicker. And it's amazing how many founders get to that point where they've they've kind of disincentivized them out of making a go of things because they've reduced their equity so drastically, so quickly. So many of them making end up an in, error of giving away too yeah, much. Yeah, because it's very easy to hand it out like it's sweets because it feels like when you've got hundred percent, it feels like a load. 
that you've got to give Plus to people. Plus, at an early stage, you're just desperate for everyone to do everything for nothing. So you just yeah. sort of start handing and it out. You're not handing it out for, yes, you are, but yeah. you're handing it out for services. You're handing it out for cash, cold, hard cash. So you're getting something in return. But, you know, you do get to that point where a founder turns out to have 15% of the equity in his business and he can't be asked anymore. No. And, and ultimately, you. These businesses, yeah, when you are, as I, as I said, when you're at that stage where you're you're just focused on growth, getting to market, yep. you are you are losing money, you are burning money month on month, actually. You know, find me a supplier of finance that really is going to look in an innovative way at your business and actually lend against that. Yeah. There, there are not many out there. That is totally true, because I I spend quite a lot of time giving talks on on raising money for startups and the first thing you say is don't bother going to a bank because you don't you won't have the security to back the kind of protection that a bank wants before it will lend any money to you plus they'll be all fucking polite and won't be honest they'll be you'll waste your time and them going oh well let's discuss it and let's have a cup of tea and you know and they won't just the you only know. people that will lend you money is and it depends what kind of business you are are the kind of asset-backed finance people who are going, oh, you're, you're a restaurant, you've got a whole kitchen full of kit, great, we'll lend you, you know, 100 grand on the basis that we'll come in and take all that kit away when you don't pay. Exactly, but you're still securing yourself against exactly. a, a fridge freezer exactly. and a toaster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's what funding circles started out life doing, isn't it? They, they basically said, particularly asset-backed, profitable businesses will lend you online kind of thing. Yeah, to, uh, I mean, funding circles, absolutely great business. I worked there for many years and yeah, a, a lot of respect to the, the founding team there because they, they built a great business. But what they focused on were businesses that had typically been trading for two years, were profitable. Again, yeah. you know, not, have a history. Not have a history, not within the sphere that we're talking about here. Mm. And I think what happened through the pandemic was this transition to online providers of finance. And I think that mm. was, it was always a trend that had been there, but but COVID actually accelerated that. The moment you've got every single bank branch shut, you've yeah. got all the telephone yep. lines jammed up, what are you actually going to do? You, first thing you can do is... Go and everybody's and type, on furlough, and, so nobody will answer the phone. No, anymore. and everyone's just going to type business loan into their Google browser or whatever, and, and try and find out where they can where they can source finance from. And I think that's really a trend which which hasn't gone away. Now uh, you see banks, you know, even even this week, some of the major banks still still closing branches, and this transition to online will only continue. I I wor- I do worry for the um, for the big banks. I mean, I. I just feel that they, it's become almost unsustainable, the level of compliance and the pressure on them. So it's great, this fintech explosion, but there's a bit of my brain that can't quite work out, well, what, what's going to happen to the big boys? Do you know what I mean? Are they going to be like, do, do I need to care? Should I be shedding You don't need to care. Shed, the big boys them. have deep pockets, yeah. man. No, they end up having to work together. Is that, is that what happens? I, I think so. I mean, I agree. Uh, what happened when COVID hit, loads of people needed money. And the only useful tool I had in my toolbox, really, other than my uh, bottle of whiskey, was R&D tax credit. I was just like, have we claimed it? Can we claim it faster? Uh, what are we doing? And, and people are like, oh, right, yeah. Um, no, I've been getting around. And I was like, that's the only money we're going to get right now. Do you know what I mean? I mean, HMRC, thankfully, 
I think I, I, I think a lot of organizations did this. They put on a holding message saying, and for the protection of our employees, there's no one here, basically. <laughs> but for the R and there's a specialist team in HMRC. It's important to understand because a lot of people, particularly the creative uh, sector, are extremely terrified of HMRC, and perhaps rightly so. I think there's much worse tax authorities, and you know, it, 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 we we do reasonably live in the land of vague gentlemen, kinder, but don't trust them. But the R and D unit has always tried. It's a grant unit. It's always tried to be a more proactive. So someone gave them a call early on. I think it might have been Boris or Richie, and just said, "Just put everything through. Just pay them. Just pay them out." And the claims just started going through, basically. And it really was. It really was one. It feels of the like things. a level of attention to detail that wouldn't have been Boris. Let's say that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that sounds like the bounce back loan scheme. Yeah. That well, the bounce back loan scheme came in, but that was oh God. It's weird remembering it now, isn't it? That took a, that took I a know. few months. And there is, yeah. Yeah, what's your view on that now in retrospect? So in hindsight, you needed a transmission mechanism somehow. Yeah. And I think you had you had the coronavirus business interruption scheme, then you had the bounce back loan scheme, and then subsequently you had the recovery loan scheme. So the C-bill scheme you know, had a high degree, a, a decent barrier to entry in terms of you know, credit scoring, financial viability, et cetera. The bounce back loan scheme was designed to get money out as quickly as possible to businesses to help them survive. So I think you can you can look at the faults, but also it's very hard to understand what would have happened had it not been there. What would it, it's such a good question. And I think mm. the, it's, the, it's the impact on employment, I think you have to think about and how many businesses were supported. Now, you can you can look at the fraud and you know, all the headlines around that, but ultimately, it was something, there was no other way of doing it. And, but, and I yeah. think that's where you had, interestingly, the, the non-bank lenders, um, and Funding Circle wasn't a great player in, in, in that space, but a lot of the challenger banks were, who actually stepped up and were big providers in that space. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's right. I, a lot of clients, it became a sort of point when I was, people were like, well, should I do it? And my advice was, yeah, take it. You'll never get cheaper capital. And a lot of people have stuck it on their balance sheet. And some yeah, people may I was even think- I talking to somebody literally three minutes ago before I came down who'd done exactly that and has got it sitting I, in their I bank account. I think most of my clients did that, most of them. But to be honest, that buffer- has given them a level of stability they yeah, never had. A level of confidence. A level of to confidence. Feel that they can like, do stuff. Well, that's it. You're yeah. sitting there at the beginning of a pandemic. You don't know what the hell's going to go on over no. the next six months. Why not bolster the balance sheet with 50 grand of you know, interest, interest-free money for the first year at a 2.5% yeah. interest rate? Yeah. That, that is a great way to shore up your business. Yeah. I think I think so, and it's a bit like aid or something, isn't it? People could get very angry about you know the ones that went wrong, but you know there's no way of giving out money without some of it ending up in the wrong hands. So ultimately, and now you know they'll go after those people, and rightly so. Some of these people, you know, are going to end up in a, in a lot of trouble for it. Um, I mean, the 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 C bill scheme. The issue was that the bank was twenty percent at risk, so really you were dealing with a bank. So initially, it was sort of that 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 you've you've got that higher level. Is it or you, you? You were so yes. You had eighty percent, which was backstopped by by the treasury. But you had a situation where you, know, you were able to provide larger amounts of finance to businesses that that actually needed it. So yes, there were controls and checks around that, which was which was right. But if you were a business that was profitable but knew you were suffering through COVID, you could actually go in there and get a lifeline off, off yeah. the C-bill scheme. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. We did do it for for a number of clients. Well, personally, I did it for a few, and it's true. Those they would have never got. They would have never been lent the money otherwise. If I was if I was the bank, do you know what I mean? It's not like they were terrible businesses, but I know how high level they need to. You but know. all of these products were were designed for banks. You know, if you if yeah. you look at actually, you know, if you look at the bounce back loans, hundred percent government backed. You look at C bills, eighty percent government backed. You know, it's the, it's the risk weighting that the cap that the banks are getting on that capital is is so cheap. And the ability to access the TFSME window, et cetera, and, and actually repo those loans back to uh, back to the Treasury is it was it was a fantastic way of getting money from the Treasury out to small businesses. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So a trickier question, and I, I, you, you may not know the answer, but given your history, you probably do have a better sense of this, is I think it's very hard. Economics is very complicated for everybody, to be honest, but it's very hard to get a sense now of what's going on. You know, interest rates are going to keep climbing. We might have World War Three. It's like I'm sitting in meetings and we're trying to do advice and we're suddenly like start talking about Ukraine or something and you're just like, fuck, I don't know what to tell you, man. Batten down your hatches and, you know. But do you, within the sort of, let's just talk within the lending, within the finance sector, we've got this recovery loan, you know, we've got we've got interest rates climbing. What Do you have any sense of the next 12 months or is that just in? possibility of a question you know god i'd make a lot of money if i knew yeah um, you would <laughs> i think you look at the macro environment and there is uncertainty uh, it goes without saying that but there always is i mean you look you, you look you've come you've come through a pandemic now into a into a nightmare macro situation with with what's going on in ukraine but ultimately you've got to look at how does the uk power itself forward and I think that's where you have to look at, you know, what is what is the UK really good at? It is good at creating IP. It's good at research. It's good at that that area. You look at all the spin-outs coming out of universities, et cetera. Yeah. So I think focusing, and, and the government focus as well, on that segment of the economy is a really strong endorsement for where capital is going to get deployed over the next few years. It, it, I've learned a lot about AIM recently because it turns out that AIM is pretty much the best market for technology businesses in the mm-hmm. world. You get the highest valuations. You can take 20% off your money off the table. I mean, the stats are mad. Um, you can raise money in a week. Uh, the client I just spoke to is thinking about doing it. Another US firm, you can be a US firm. He said, well, you know, we're trying to do this race. And I'm chatting to my mate and um, he's raised money in three days. He raised 10 million quid. And I was just like, what? Yeah, he said, 
said, I just did five meetings, boom. And I, I, it was really heartening to hear because the, the main LSE is a disaster place for technology. It's really struggling with its identity and some of the recent launches and everything. But AIM, it's like, if you look at, I was looking at all these stats they just sent me. It's like the other way up. It's like AIM is the best, you know. If you, are you aware yeah. of this? And I, well, I think if you look at some of the changes that have been recommended to come through, I think there was a, there was a great report which is worth reading, which was the Khalifa report, which which also looked at things like dual share class listings, etc., to help mm. to help business owners actually retain you know, more control of their businesses. So yeah. I think there is there is definitely a focus on trying to make the UK an attractive place to list companies now. I mean, I kind of, you kind of, you kind of want Boris to leave and Richie to be in charge, or a lot of people do. But then I'm like, well, who's going to be yeah, the CFO I then? I, I you know, I would want a more fundamental change. I know than you, that. you don't. Thanks. You, yeah. But you know, we're, we're within until we next vote. You know, that's at least an option on that. Would you, you be happy with Richie over Boris? Would you, or a bit sexier anyway? You know, oh, <laughs> no, easy. is he not? Um, yeah, I probably would, just because he seems slightly more like to pay more attention. Um, okay, great. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, okay, so I'm a company, I'm trying to raise finance. I remember when this R&D line first started appearing on people's models, you know, like for five, 10 years now, people started counting it. And I was I was doing R&D claims, but even I was surprised. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's about as certain as anything, isn't it? You know, you've got lines in there of like, oh, we're going to increase revenue. It's like, are you? You're more likely to get your R&D claim and stuff. They make the claim with you. They, they pay a percent percentage, you know, what, a couple of percent or 1% a month or something, is it? Yeah, or, broadly speaking, just over 1% a month. And what, um, I, I guess for, for the person listening, it's like, what, what what is key to that? If they want to come and access this funding and get the funding quick quickly, from your perspective as a business, you can't be dealing with any one man and his dog. What's the key thing for them? No, to- so, so as a business, we made a decision very early on to work with what we call Spark approved advisors. So ultimately, those are reputable accounting and advisory firms and really only dealing with a a limited number of those. And the reason for that is because as a business, we really run two risks. We run the risk that the claim becomes invalid for some reason or it's overstated, understated, however you want to look at it. And you run insolvency risk on the corporate itself. So you have to try and mitigate both sides of that. So for a company coming to us, we will work with their tax advisor, accountant, actually on the R&D part, and that's how we are getting comfortable. Then on the solvency point, there are great advances now in open banking, open accounting. So we're, we're an on, we have an online platform and enables companies to connect through their, their bank, their accounting software, et cetera, enables us to take a holistic view of that company and work out you know, if we think that that company is also a good credit risk as, as well as a, a good claimant under the R&D scheme. Okay, very good. And in terms of the the team, your team you're trying to sort of build is um, where where you're, you've got offices in London. And- yeah, so we've got offices just off uh, just behind Tottenham Court Road. Okay, Charlotte Street. Okay, nice. And where are you on the whole uh, working from home? Everyone needs to be in the office Tuesday for drinks. You know, I, I can be a little bit militant from time to time. So I, 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 <laughs> oh, in which direction? I, I, well, yeah. no, I, I, I'm, you must work from home. Yeah. I'm in Monday to uh, Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. Friday. 
work from home, but that's mainly so I can do the Friday Night Vibes football in the afternoon and coach my son's football team. Nice. <laughs> um, but nice. the tech guys, a little bit more flexible. They come into the office two days a week. Um, business development team, typically in four days a week as well. I think it's quite, it's quite hard when you're building a business and you're trying to build a culture. It, yeah. It's very hard to do 100%. that remotely. So I, I'm, I will be flexible. Look, I, I didn't step out of the corporate world into the world of, of startups. They don't have so to wear ties. No one wears a tie. Anymore. I was t- no. slightly taking the piss. In fact, I can't okay. remember the last meeting I was in where someone actually wore a tie. I know, that's but, true. Apart from somebody I interviewed on Zoom who was wearing a tie, which I thought, yeah, are you really sitting in your bedroom wearing a tie? <laughs> I was watching. Well, you lead, you lead from the front, you know? Yeah. You're doing that. At least you're not doing, which uh, I think uh, possibly we're all guilty of at times, like, oh, yeah, you know, they need to be in the office, but I've got to go, you know? Sorry no, God, no. I, th- I think, you know, when you are... There's got to be soft benefits as well for staff. So, you know, if mm. you know, most of my staff have got children, yeah, yeah. I always want to make sure that you never miss that assembly or that sports day and giving that flexibility as well is, is key now. Yeah. And that is a massive change in our culture, isn't it? That we've been sort of managing for years, but now we've sort of like, yeah, it's like with rocket boosters on, trying to, yeah, allow the person to have that. I mean, for me, I had young children during COVID. I mean, they were, they were all, it wasn't due to COVID like uh, a lot of people, but um, uh, but my God, I will never get back that that moment, the fact that I could pop in and five minutes, you know, and I get, and then my, I was speaking to my wife saying, yeah, but I still feel like I'm not really there most of the time. And then she'd been doing all this reading and she said, to be honest, all the research says that they, if you're engaged for five minutes or those little five minute gaps, when you come in and you're really focused on the kids and you're in a fantastic mood because you're loving your break, you're not like, oh, I'm on the sofa, won't they leave me alone? I mean, if you haven't had, you know, kids, a shock for having kids is you think in your head that you'll be this great parent. When I remember when I was like, first left to look after the kids on my own and I just so tired I just wanted to watch TV it's um, it's that reality I mean I've got this theory that we should have maternity paternity you know I'm trying to debate it with some of the partners and then there's a second period which is a period up to which they go to school when there's a very difficult period because you're not getting a lot of sleep you know and basically they're not at school it's a very precious time you'll never get it back it's very innocent that we need to then be like okay you can work from home more you know it's like a second phase because we've all got phases of their lives when we're 20 when you speak to a 22 year old they do not want to be in some shitty little town out of town you know they want to be in London having a party yeah I I sit there with my with my 13 year old thinking actually you've only got five summer holidays left before you're off in Ibiza or Iron Apple it's it's crazy thinking like that wow okay I mean yeah thinking in terms of summer holidays is insane So that was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Dominic Peasley for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and find us on socials at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye.